recognize that you are our living hope. Your son is our living hope. The one who purchased with his blood his church. For those of us that are part of it here today, we're so grateful and we're so thankful. We pray that 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 truth permeates us and separates us from the world because we know the world is heading one direction and we should be heading another direction. We should be heading towards godliness we know the world is, is heading another direction towards darkness, God. And I pray that you'd help us to be those, those that are a light and ambassador for you in these days because we know that people are dying and going to hell. So God, help us to live in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Help us to use our mouth and our lips and open up and share the good news of what you've done. We know that we are living in a society now that seems to be willing to hear the hope that is within us. And so we pray that you'd help us to take advantage of that in these days. We are looking forward to hearing from Dr. Uh, Dr. Allen today. We're so thankful that he's here with us today. In Christ's name, amen. Man, if that worship didn't get you going, you are already dead. <laughs> that was awesome this morning, wasn't it? Our uh, time here should be filled with worship, anticipating not only what God can do through us while we're here, but that day when we see him face to face. That was a great reminder. Uh, it's my uh, pleasure to be able to introduce uh, Dr. Allen, and uh, I, I did want you to be aware of a couple things before he comes. I don't want anything to get in the way of uh, my good friend. Um, but uh, we are going to be installing a hole at the far end of the building. And uh, we're good at that part. I don't know how the rest of it's going to go. <laughs> but in a, about a week and a half process, we had told you that uh, in order to do that and be able to finish that project, we'd need $90,000. In about a week and a half, 93000 came in. And uh, <laughs> so we just want you to know we do actually have a plan for that. And the plan isn't to give the children hard hats as they come to church. Uh, but I do want you to come just a little early in the next couple of weeks and be able to see how they will route them through a safe process uh, in there. It's going to be safe the entire time. It's going to be an exciting project that will hopefully improve not only the flow in our building, but the safety for our kids. So uh, we are looking forward to that. I think Joe had a couple other things in here. Um, you can find out about those next week. Also, one thing that didn't make it on our videos, uh, Wake the World, is happening here. Um, I believe it's this next week. Where's uh, Vinny? There he is. Vinny, would you stand all the way up real quick? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, there you are. Get on the step. There we are. <laughs> you and Linda. We praise God for you, by the way, Vince. The story of God's faithfulness in your life and what he's allowed to happen. 188 kids from Camp Agape, kids whose parents are in prison, are going to get on boats. They have their own 
place to be able to uh, go out there, experience the water, nobody pressing them, just a day where the people around them love on them and uh, bless them. You, you guys have organized that. I think you have 31 boats for Camp Agape kids, and then you're keeping everybody around for uh, Wake the World, 34 families, 168 foster kids, 45 boats. You have six families that have over 10 kids. And just because they're so tired, you're giving the kids a boat and the parents a boat, right? <laughs> I think you actually have two boats for those families, and uh, uh, we are so amazed. Uh, also, you have somebody that's from the Ducks and from the Beavers, and they're Christians? Yeah, <laughs> sharing their testimony. So we praise God for you. Let's give uh, Vince a hand and let's pray. <laughs> Folks, as uh, you think of uh, Vince and Linda and that entire team, many of you are serving and helping them. Uh, this is one of the ways in our day and age when people come by, remember, they don't think much of believers anymore. They just think of judgment. But we have an opportunity to bless the broken and to be able to enter into their lives and to show them the grace of God and what agape love looks like. And that message radiates. And they're uh, helping us put that on display. We're proud of you. Uh, we're thankful for you. And we pray, folks, that uh, you will be a part of that as we come uh, through these next weeks. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about what it means to be a faithful individual. It highlights faith, and it says um, all of these died in faith without receiving the promises. Verse 13, having seen them and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Uh, Dr. Allen is going to come and uh, preach to us, but uh, we've known him as a, a preacher at our church. Uh, we've known him also as a, a friend to our uh, ministry, uh, a fellow traveler um, in the valley right? Through darkness, shadow of death, uh, but holding the hand of the Savior the entire way. The thing that I've appreciated, Dr. Allen, is that every single time that we're together, uh, you remind me of eternity. You remind me of heaven. You remind me of our eternal hope, and you are always looking to the Savior. And we've always been blessed to hear you preach. So would you come and encourage us this morning? Let's give him a hand. Hey, come here. I'm thankful for you. Can I pray and uh, you preach? Father, we are so blessed to have uh, fellowship and friendship. Um, as believers, uh, we are thankful that wherever we go, we run into your people, your leaders. And we are pleased this morning to be able to hear from Dr. Allen. We pray that uh, you would fill him, that you would allow everything that you have put in his heart to come through clear that we would respond and be different as a result is our prayer. Help us to listen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Justin, you stay right up here for a second, if you would, because I want to make a presentation to you. Okay. I am delighted to be back. Kate and I are so thrilled to be back with a favorite church that we love to get to come every year. You, and we're delighted to be here. And uh, I was able to uh, write another book and have it published in April of this year. It's a book on the subject of the atonement. 
and it's not near as long as the previous book on the extent of the atonement. That was a little long, but this one's not quite as long, but I want to present this to you, give you a copy, and uh, so uh, I say to you, uh, to my dear friend uh, Justin, uh, for your friendship and faithfulness in the gospel and all that you have done for the great sermons that you've been preaching here at your church, uh, P.S., uh, my fee for writing those morning sermons for you goes up 10 bucks next week. Okay. So. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, if you guys uh, recognize any illustrations or outlines, just pretend like it's the first time. Yeah, okay. play. Yeah, all right. Oh, uh, well, I hear he's been doing pretty well with his sermons around here, so I figure I'll just take a little credit for that. Oh, we love coming here. Katie and I are honored to be back with you today. Thank you so much for the privilege, Pastor, that you've afforded us to come again to the beautiful and wonderful and great state of Oregon, where it is uh, weather-wise today much better than it is in Texas. I'll tell you that. I'm grateful that uh, it's about 100. It'll be about 100 degrees in Dallas today, close to it, if not that. And yet, uh, it won't be anywhere near that here today, and we are grateful so thank you for the privilege of allowing us to come. Miss Kate and I are so, uh, we've been looking forward to this. We're so delighted to be here. As you know, she was not able to be here last year. The day before we were about to come, we had a little problem with uh, her kitty cat. And uh, so cat had to have some surgery and all of that. And Kate did not get to come, but the kitty cat's fine. I'm happy to report. And so Miss Kate's back uh, here today and looking forward to seeing all of you. We've already had a chance to visit with some of you uh, in the hallways and in the building here. And we look forward to fellowshipping with you as well afterward and in the next service. And then again tonight at 5 o'clock. I hope you're planning to come back tonight uh, because... Uh, Actually, this morning is a new sermon. One of the reasons I'm getting a little tired of your pastor about something is he invites me to come, but he says, look, we're doing this special series and this special topic, and we want you to preach on this particular subject, and I don't have a sermon on that, and so he forces me to go write a new sermon. <laughs> and so I have had to do that for this morning, and then uh, I wasn't forced on this one, but tonight as well to dovetail with our topic today of godliness, uh, I want to preach a sermon tonight from 1 Samuel chapter 3 on God's call of young Samuel. And so I want you to come tonight. Would you do that? And let's hear what the Lord has to say to us, not only this morning, but what He will say uh, to us tonight. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Isn't that our desire today? And it should be as we come to Second Peter, and so join me again there. And if you want to, you may want to take a finger and put it over around Psalm 1, because a little bit later, we're going to talk more about the godly life out of Psalm 1. But we're going to begin with Second Peter, which is where every week you all are having preachers come and take a word or a concept out of that particular passage. And so I want you to join me in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Now, first of all, I probably won't say much in the first five or ten minutes here that you may not have already heard first from your pastor in the opening sermons and maybe from some of the others. But on the off chance that uh, you missed some of that, uh, maybe it won't be total repetition. But even if it is, Peter himself says, I bring all of these things, I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So it's okay 
to repeat a little bit, right? It's okay to do that. I mean, hey, the great musicians, the rock stars and everybody, they sing the same same songs, don't they, again and again? We listen, don't we? So if you hear something you've heard before, uh, that's all right. It won't be a problem. It's just God's way of reinforcing His Word and His truth. But I'm excited today to focus on that one word, godliness. Godliness. Think about that word for a moment. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness... By these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature. Oh my, what does that mean? Escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement, to add to your faith with goodness and Goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly love, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, notice that, if you possess these qualities... With increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to be is useless, huh? They will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things, uh uh-oh. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has spiritual amnesia, has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and your election, because if you do these things, look at that. Previously, it's if you possess these things. Now, it's if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. This is the word of the Lord. What does godliness look like? How do you define it? How do you describe it? I would like to buy a pound of godliness, please. Or would you measure out for me a yard of godliness? What in the world is godliness in the first place? If we stop you in the hallway and say, please define and describe godliness for us, how would you do that? What would you say? Three times in this paragraph, and once more in the book, later in chapter 3, Peter uses this word that is our focus this morning, the word godliness. He says, God has granted to you as believers, you and me, all things, look at that, all things in verse 3, all things that are required for two things. Number one, life. Number two, godliness. Notice the order. 
Life is spiritual life. It's eternal life. That's the work of God. Only God can give eternal life. Only God can give spiritual life. God has already done that for you. If you are here today and you are a believer, you already have that. You possess that. It is yours. It is final. It is eternal. It is guaranteed. Your name is written in the book of life. You're on the road to heaven. You are just as good as if you were already there. Life, eternal life. But he doesn't stop there. He says God has given us, look at it, all things pertaining to life. There's eternal life. That's salvation, if you want to use that word. But not only that, but also godliness. Of the list of spiritual additives that God wants you to put in your spiritual gas tank, of the list of spiritual additives, the only one, the only word that occurs both in verse 3 in the broad sense, and then as one of the words as the spiritual additives as well, the only word that so occurs, is repeated, is the word godliness. Now that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Why would that be? Why would the author, why would Peter do that? Well, not only is the order as important there, the order is important, but God has basically given us everything we need to begin the Christian life and then to continue it. And godliness is what ought to be the description of all of those of us who are His children. We should be godly people. Godliness is the twin sister of conversion. Godliness is the twin brother of spiritual growth. Once you are saved, God's desire for you is that you grow spiritually. He wants us to begin the Christian life by faith. We receive eternal life. We receive the gift of salvation. We enter into a relationship with God. We have fellowship with Him. We know that we are saved. But now, and so that's the beginning. But then comes the twin brother of spiritual maturity. And that is another way of talking about living a godly life as we grow spiritually. Notice Peter talks about the fact that we are growing through this knowledge of Him who's called us by His own glory and His goodness. And notice in verse 4, the great spiritual promises, the great and precious promises. By these, He has given us great and precious promises. Oh, the special and wonderful promises of God are all through the Old and New Testament. These are given to you and me. These are given to all of us who are God's children. We have great and precious promises. Watch it. So that through those promises, you you may share in the divine nature. Hot dog, you get to become God. Is that what it means? No. There is only one God. And you are not He. And nor am I. So it's not talking about we become God. No, but what does Peter mean? Notice the word. We become partakers of the divine nature. So that all that God is Himself in terms of ethics, in terms of His moral code and His attributes and how He conducts Himself, God allows us to share in that nature and expects us to become like Him. Hence the term godliness. Godliness is God-likeness. We actually, in one sense, in that sense, do share in the nature of God. We are not omniscient. 
We are not omnipresent. All of those attributes of God that make Him God, we will never be those things. But the moral attributes that describe God, He is love, He is just, He is holy, and that these are the kind of things that we can be by His grace and by His power. Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy, we are told in Scripture. And over and over again, we are to emulate the character of God. That's what it means to be godly. And so this is what Peter is talking about. We get to share in the qualities of God Himself. We don't possess a divine nature. No, we still have our human nature. It's saved, we are saved, but we do not become God or gods, little gods, but we share, we are partakers in His divine nature. The nature of spiritual growth is that God gives us all that we need to become like Him. God does not expect you to be like Him without giving you the power to be like Him. God does not expect you to emulate Him without giving you all of the resources that you need to follow Him and to exhibit His character and to walk with Him and fellowship with Him. And so notice the word supply or the word supplement in verse 5. I'm sure the pastors told you this, but look at verse 5 carefully. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then comes a listing of the things that we are to add to our faith, the spiritual additives. And notice we are to add these or supplement with our faith. And then we get a list of things, and this, of course, is the focus of your sermon series. Uh, all that God is saying we need to add into our lives. How many of you take some form of supplements to your diet or whatever? You take, okay, look, a lot of you do. You take supplements, that's what you call them, supplements. The translation I'm using here today uses the very word, make every effort to supplement your faith with and then comes the listing, here are all the supplements. You need a little extra iron, or you need a little extra this, you need a little extra that. And so you take supplements to add to what, whatever your body already produces, or whatever your, your nutrition uh, gives to your diet, adds to your diet. But now you're going to supplement those things. And so here is a listing of things that we need to add. Now it's interesting that godliness would be one of those. I can understand all of the other things here that we need to add. We need to add uh, goodness to our faith. We need to add knowledge, self-control, endurance. Now, all that makes perfect sense to me. But it's a little odd that godliness is the center word of all the words here. And he had already told us we are needing to add life and, or God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So now the question arises, what do we mean by godliness? The word occurs many times in the New Testament, but more often than not, it occurs in three letters of the New Testament outside of 2 Peter, where it occurs four times. It occurs very heavily in the Pauline letters that we call the pastoral letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. So I jotted down some of the things that Paul says about godliness in these passages. For example, Paul says... To further the faith and knowledge of the truth. This should be our mission. He says this in Titus 1.1. To do that so that it leads to, and here's our word, godliness. Paul tells us in Timothy, we are to pray for all people 
that are in authority so that we may live quiet and peaceful lives in all, here comes our word, godliness. Paul says we are to train ourselves to godliness. Paul says we are to pursue godliness. Paul says godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. These are all the things Paul says about godliness, and in all of his writings, most of these words, the word godliness, is used by Paul in those three letters. Paul distills the essence of the Christian life, and he tells us this in Titus 2, 11 through 13, that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Are you saying no to ungodliness today? When it comes knocking on your door, that thought that you know is contrary to Scripture, that habit, that action, that attitude, those words out of your mouth. You know that's ungodly, don't you? And when that comes knocking on your door, do you, like Paul says, teaching us to say no to ungodliness, listen, and to live self-controlled, upright. By the way, self-controlled, notice that word appears in Peter's listing. And finally, godly lives, there's our word, godliness. And then Paul adds this, while we wait for the coming of the Lord. And isn't it interesting that the fourth time Peter uses the term godliness, three times in our paragraph, and the fourth time in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, what does Peter say? He says the same thing Paul did. He says, hey, it's clear what sort of people we should be in godliness as we wait for the day of the Lord and His return. So now we've got Paul saying it and Peter saying it. Why is godliness something that we should be adding to our lives on a daily basis, growing in godliness, adding it into our lives. God considers this vital. He wants you to be like Him. He wants you to be like Him. He expects me to be like Him. He expects you to be like Him. Now, He knows that you're not perfect. He knows that you are not sinless. We're not sinless. We're just forgiven. But nevertheless, we are to pursue and be diligent in all of these terms that Paul and Peter use. We are to seek godliness, desire godliness, work hard at living godly lives. So with that under our belt, let me teach you a little bit about this word godliness as it occurs. It's the same word in Greek in all of these verses we've looked at. It is a word in Greek, eusebeia. Now, don't worry about that. Just, let me just explain what that word means. Literally, the word godliness is a word that means good worship. That's the meaning of the word in Greek, the actual etymology of the word. You know what godliness is? It's living your life 
in terms of attitude and actions in such a way that results in your life expressing good worship to God. That's pretty good, AJ, don't you think? We're all about good worship, right? We don't want bad worship, false worship. No, we want true worship. We want good worship. And good worship is the word godliness. Godliness is the person who is living her life, his life, for the glory of God in such a way that God looks down and says, that's good worship. Hey, by the way, you do know that worship is not just what we do on Sunday morning. The first person who knows that among all of us here would be A.J. He would never say, now we're going to worship here, and then Dr. Allen's going to come and preach, and we're doing something else other than worship. He would be the last person in here to say that. Because he knows, and your pastor and staff and elders know, and all of the leaders know, and you, all of us who are Christians in this building who know the Lord, we know that worship is 24-7. It's what you do at school. It's how you live at work. It's how you think, act, focus, what you say, speech, all of these things. Everything that we do, each individual and all of them together express worship, do they not? And it's not just what we do on Sunday morning. No, it's 24-7, which is Paul's point or Peter's point in these verses. Let's add to all of these things godliness. So what does godliness mean? Godliness means an inner attitude of worship coupled with an outward life that pleases God. Now you must have those two together. Godliness is an inner attitude and then it is an outward expression of that inward attitude. You don't have the full-orbed meaning of what God means when He uses the term godliness if you don't get those two concepts and merge them together. It's attitude and it's action. It's not one without the other. God knows nothing. The Bible knows nothing of having a godly attitude with no actions behind it. The Bible knows nothing of having godly actions but without the right attitude behind it. No, the Bible puts both of those together. Godliness is inward attitude of, of reverence coupled with that outward action of, God, of a God-pleasing life. The godly person delights in the Lord. The godly person enjoys God enjoys fellowship with God, enjoys walking with God, enjoys reading the Word of God, enjoys preaching it and hearing it preached. Those are examples of the godly person delighting in the Lord and enjoying His company. The godly person is a person characterized by inward character and outward service. Both are necessary. Both must occur. The godly person is the person who worships and obeys. Again, both together. The godly person is the person who loves the Lord and who loves His Word. The two are combined together. The godly person is like Enoch in the Bible. Two things are said about Enoch, one in Genesis 5 and one in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's what is said about Enoch, two things. Number one, he walked with God. I want that 
as my epitaph. Of all the things that could be said about me, I would hope that when my time comes and you gather, you come to my funeral and there I am and they already have the gravestone, oh, it would please me to no end if you wrote on there that if you could, if people could say, yep, he did, like Enoch, he walked with God. Oh, there's a whole sermon in that from Genesis 5. We don't have time to go into that. I wish we did. But the next thing that says, is said about Enoch in chapter 11 is this, Hebrews in the New Testament. He has this testimony. Are you ready? He not only walked with God, but here it comes, here it comes. He pleased God. I would love to have those two things written on my tombstone as my epitaph. David Allen. Here lies David Allen. He walked with God. He pleased God. If I could do that, I would be a happy person. What is the highest compliment that can be said about you today? Oh, she's a great parent. She is a wonderful, gifted teacher. He is a generous Christian. Oh, he's a great preacher. And on and on and on. What are the highest, what are the compliments that can be given? Oh, he's such a conscientious person. Think of all of the compliments that could be given. But none of those things matter if you're not a godly person. No, the highest compliment is she is a godly woman. The highest compliment is that student is a godly young man. The highest compliment that can be said about you, he or she is a godly person. This is what godliness is all about. This is what the Bible means. This is what Peter means. This is what Paul means when he talks about godliness. So what do you think of when you think about godliness? Well, you think about, well, they're, they're like Jesus. They're certain, they have good... God's character, Christian character, uh, they, they bear the fruit of the Spirit, and every bit of that is accurate and should be true. There's no doubt about that. But godliness, though it certainly includes that, it includes more than that. The fundamental aspect of it is an attitude toward God before it's an action that flows out of that attitude. The fear of the Lord, the Old Testament prophets and the psalmist and Proverbs writers say, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all begins. Godliness begins there. It's first an attitude, then it's an action. Listen now, listen carefully. Let me share this with you. Think deeply for a minute. Devotion, I want you to think about this for a second. Devotion is not activity. Now we're big on activity. That's doing stuff. And that's important. That's the whole point. God, that's the one half of it. But the first part of godliness, the second part of godliness is activity. It's action. It's how you live, what you say. But the first part is devotion, and devotion is not activity. It begins as an attitude toward God, which is composed of three essentials. The fear of the Lord, the love of God, and the desire for God. You've got to have those three things in your life if you are going to be godly. You've got to fear God, you've got to love Him, and you've got to desire Him. 
And if you fear God, love God, and desire Him, godliness is going to be a part of your life. It can't help but be. Those three elements combined, focusing upon God, lead you to the practice of godliness. So now you can practice as a parent. You can be a godly parent. You can be a godly child. You can be a godly student. You can be a godly worker. You can be a godly friend. And just put any word there that you are, any responsibility you have, any relationship in life you have. You can be a godly husband. You can be a godly wife. You can be a godly child. You can be a godly servant. You can be a godly this or that. Fill in the blank. When you get the devotion right, then you can get, when the character is right, then the conduct flows. But now be careful. Time out. If you try to have the conduct without the character, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's called hypocrisy. It's called being a hypocrite. You might be talented. You might be busy about the Lord's work. You might have that successful outward show. You may be devoted to a vision. You may be devoted to a particular ministry. You may be devoted to a certain reputation. But without godliness, you're in trouble. Godliness is more than just character. It's character that springs from devotion to God. I hope you'll write that down today. Godliness is more than just character. It's not less than that. It is, but it is more than your character. It's also that character that springs from a devotion to God. Godliness can be defined as devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to God. That is is godliness. Be careful though. 2 Timothy 3, 5, Paul warns, <laughs> be careful that you don't hold to a show of godliness, but you deny the real power of godliness. Paul's warning believers there. You know where it's easiest to put on a show of godliness? Right here in church. Oh, it's easy to do it right here. We can all put on the show, can't we? We look good. We talk good. We talk clean. We act nice. And we can put on a show of godliness, but we better be careful that we don't deny its power. One of our Texans moved to Oregon here a few months ago, one of our cowboys. Texas cowboys moved up here. He went into the bar and he went to the bartender. He ordered three mugs of beer. And uh, he was alone. The bartender thought that was a little odd. But, you know, he ordered three mugs of beer. So he uh, drafted those three mugs. And the, the cowboy went and sat in the back of the bar. And he took a sip out of one, put it down, took a sip out of the other, and put it down, took a sip out of the other. And the patrons of the bar noticed that. They watched him, you know. And he... Finally, he drank all three of those, and then he came back for round two to the bartender. And the bartender said, hey, I just want to, you know, ask. He said, you know, when I uh, draft that for you, he said, after a while it gets stale. He said, it'd be better for you if you just order one at a time and keep it fresh. And the, our cowboy who moved here said, no, you, you don't understand. He said, you see, I have three brothers, all from Texas, but we all three moved away. One moved to Wyoming, the other moved to Colorado, and I moved here to Oregon. And he said, we used to always drink together at the same bar there in Texas. 
And we would order a round of drinks, we'd drink together, and then we would order another round, we'd drink together. It was just what we did. And so when we all moved away, we decided we'd just keep that going. And so even though we were separated, we decided we we're going to all drink together. And so uh, I'm drinking for myself and my two brothers as well. <laughs> it's just our custom. And the bartender said, well, okay, well, that's pretty cool. And so every day for months, he's been coming into the bar. I'm not sure where he's in Salem or where he's Portland or wherever he is, but he comes into the bar there. And one day he came in and he ordered two glasses, not three. And the patrons who now knew him well, you know, everybody fell silent. And he sipped one, sipped the other, and he drank both down. And when he came back to, for the second round, the bartender said to him, he said, hey, I want to express my condolences to you. You know, I'm sorry for the loss. I guess, you know, you've lost one of your brothers. You only ordered two glasses. And at first, the cowboy looked a little puzzled, and then he said, no, no. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, no, my brothers are fine. Everything's fine. He said, my wife and I joined the Baptist church, and he said, I can't drink anymore. But it didn't affect my two brothers at all. I don't know. He's up here in Salem somewhere. I, you know, these Texans. You know, it's easy to have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. Right? You know, you don't need me to enumerate how we do that. We're all good at it, aren't we? It's easy to do that. But don't do that. Don't do that. Here are false forms of God in this quickly. Let me give you two that are very important. Number one is legalism. A false form of godliness is to try to live the Christian life in a legalistic way. <laughs> I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do. So you just get, you get real legalistic. Now, by the way, I'm not advocating doing any of those three things. It's good, good that you don't do those three things. But turning the Christian life of grace into a legalistic system. I mean, I, I talked to a friend of mine. This has been a few years back. He went to pastor a church in a little town in the deep south. And he went to the bowling alley to bowl, he and his wife. And half of his church members were <gasps> horrified. He went to the bowling alley because in their, that culture or whatever, that's the place where everybody went, the little town, they all went to drink, they all went to gamble, and that's where you went to, that's where the, the, you know, the ladies of the night, many of them congregate, whatever. You don't go bowling, that's sinful, that's, that's ungodly. No, that's legalism is what that is. That's legalism. Make sure that you're, not, that you're not degenerating into a legalistic form of your Christian life. The other problem is moralism. So that you think that, here's, that God is going to be happy with you if you just, you, you fall into a trap of, if I'm moral, that's what pleases God. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We don't need to be immoral, 
But you can't please God by morality apart from pleasing God by devotion to God first, and then the moral life follows that. So many of us think that we got to please God by doing all the time. No, God is already pleased. You're His child. You're in His family. Loves you. But He does say He wants us to walk with Him and live for Him and serve Him and conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing to Him. We need to avoid the, the, the error of legalism and the er, error of moralism as a way to try to make God happy with us. And that's going to lead me, and I'm going to do this quickly because I don't have much time. But that leads me to Psalm 1. I want to pick up what we're talking about godliness with an illustration of one of the greatest places in all of the Bible on this is Psalm 1. And it's the first half of Psalm 1, the first three verses, and I want you to look with me at Psalm 1 for just a moment. Psalm 1 is the psalm of the godly person. And it's the it's the vestibule through which we walk into the cathedral known as the book of Psalms. And Psalm 1 says, How happy is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Look at that. By the way, I wish we had time to explain some of this. Oh, the, the, literally the word happy, there's the word blessings in Hebrew, and it's plural. Oh, the blessings. And it's more than just a statement. It's an exclamation. In fact, it's sort of like a... Uh, it's sort of like a big advertisement written at the local grocery store window. Artichokes, three for a dollar at Kroger, is sort of what the author is saying. Oh, the blessings, there's so many of the person who is godly. The godly person, that says man, ladies, but it means the person, male or female, so you're included as well. How happy is the one, the person who doesn't do certain things? Now notice in verse 1 that the godly person is known by some things he or she doesn't do, places they don't go, etc. People they don't keep company with. Yes, there is a certain negative aspect to being godly. Absolutely that's true. So we're, the blessed person is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the, of the wicked, the ungodly. The older translators translate that Hebrew word ungodly. The newer translators use the term wicked. They're, they're both the same. The, the word ungodly, even in Hebrew, sounds ugly. It's the word reshaim. It just sounds bad. You don't walk in the counsel of the reshaim. So, I went through, and here's every time that word is used in Psalms and Proverbs. Here's what it describes. Here's my list. Are you ready? Here's the list. Characteristics every time this word has occurred. It's a person who is arrogant, prideful, vainglorious, full of bluster, brazen-faced. These are all translations. Insolent, derisive, contemptuous of others, plot even on evil while they're on their bed, scheme against the innocent, enamored of injustice, deliberately pervert the administration of justice by means of bribery. Lawlessness is their hallmark. Terror their instrument they wield against the disadvantaged of society, against the widow, against the stranger, against the orphan. They boast of their unbridled lust. They make an outward show of goodwill, concealing malice. Their speech is deceitful. It is duplicitous. It is fraudulent. It is treacherous. They abuse friendship. They repay good with evil. They repay love with hate. They borrow money, never pay back. They abhor people of integrity. They cannot understand how others are concerned for the plight of the wretched people in society. They feign compassion and they act cruelly. Those are all descriptions right out of the book of Psalms 
in Proverbs that describe the person who is ungodly. There's your reshaim, the ungodly right there. And you say, well, preacher, I'm not any of those. Well, I'm glad you're not, but I want to point out in closing, it's going to take more than negative holiness for you to be godly. And that's why we come to verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Folks, the foundation, we're going to pick up here tonight. The foundation of a godly life is devotion to God that is expressed by a love for the Word of God, loving this book, reading this book, living this book out, longing for this book, putting the principles of this book into action in your life. There's godliness in action. He loves. the, the What does He do? His delight. Look at this. Devotion, delight. Notice, here comes the foundation. His delight is in that law, and in that law He meditates day and night. He mumbles over and over. Not, mumbles not the right word. He meditates on it in the sense of slowly but recitatively in a low voice repeating the words of God, thinking on them. How often? Day and night. That's a Hebrew idiom that means all the time. Just when you have an opportunity, immediately you, your mind goes to the Word of God. That's His delight. And look at your result. Here's your godly person right here. Are you looking? <laughs> He's like a tree. Now, Oregonians know something about trees. Texans don't. The only big trees we have is way over in East Texas and everything else. We have those little mesquite shrubs. They call them mesquite trees. They're not really trees. You all have trees in Oregon. You know something about trees. I bet you didn't know this. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. This is you. This is who you are. Watch it bears its fruit and it seizes whose leaf does not wither. Well, wait a minute. Bears its fruit in its season. So there's a fruit tree, fruit bearing. Leaf doesn't wither. There's your evergreen. Now, wait a minute. Hold it. Hold it. In a big picture framework of arborology, how many kinds of trees are there in the world? How many? Two. Number one, there are deciduous, right? Pastor, that means they lose their leaves, okay? <laughs> what can I do? I already write his sermons. I might as well. They lose their leaves. There are deciduous trees. And what's the other kind of tree? Broad, big, big, broad picture, evergreens. Do you know what? In arborology, almost never in the universe is there a fruit tree that is an evergreen. You're either a fruit tree and you're deciduous, or you're among the deciduous category of trees. You lose your leaves, or you don't lose your leaves. You're an evergreen. But the godly person in the Bible is both. You bear fruit, and that goes back to what Peter, what did Peter say? Go back to Second Peter, what did he say? Being fruitful. Not unfruitful, but fruitful. You're fruit-bearing, and you're an evergreen. And, verse 3, whatever he does, 
prospers. And what that means is it's all going to turn out well according to God's blessings on your life. So, what do you want to be? What do you want to be known as? You want to be the godly? That's what I want to be. Or you want to be the ungodly? And the rest of the psalmist of Psalm 1 says this, Not so the ungodly, they're like chaff. You know what chaff is? Rootless, fruitless, lifeless. They're like chaff. The wind drives away, and they're gone. So the wicked, the ungodly shall not stand during the end times in the presence of the godly. No. For the Lord knows, verse 6, Psalm 1, the way of the godly, but the way of the ungodly shall, say the word with me, perish. But I believe there's a verse, for those of you in here who don't know Christ, I believe there's a verse, it's called John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're here and you're not a believer today, are you ready to leave the ranks of the ungodly and come into the fellowship of the godly who know Christ and who not, we're not perfect, we're just forgiven. And we're on our way to heaven. And every step of the way, we're trying to be like our Savior in how we live. So to your faith, add godliness. Holy Father, Heavenly Father, teach us from these passages that we have looked at and thinking about this word godliness and what it means. Oh, Father, help us to be devoted to you and pleasing to you in how we live. Lord, let us be like Enoch who walked with God and had this testimony that he pleased God. And Lord, tonight, bring us back at five and teach us how to be like young Samuel. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, are you thankful for uh, that message? I don't know about you, I feel like